miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like ones of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. That's some uh, Game of Thrones stuff right there. Oh boy. I'm uh, Dan DeCriscio, one of the elders here at City Church. I've never actually watched Game of Thrones intentionally. There's a lot of these, quote, binge-worthy shows that I haven't watched intentionally. But um, how do I know about them? Well, I travel a lot, and I usually sit in 17C or 17D on the plane. It's an aisle seat. Yes, I'm that guy. I spy on other people's shows when I'm sitting in the aisle seat on a plane. And I'm kind of like, what's going on in that show? What? Oh, geez, I can't believe that just happened. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't look away from this. You know, for better or worse, I end up seeing these shows, and usually for worse, because I'm not really a big fan of violent TV shows, but I guess you can watch them on a plane. If you like these shows, no judgment, okay, no judgment today, it's okay. You know, these modern epic series that are so popular, there's always got to be a twist now, doesn't there? There's always got to be some weird twist. They don't follow the normal blueprint narrative that most shows of old used to. You know, the one where you got like the hero and then the villain and the hero almost looks like he's not going to make it. Then at the very last minute, awesome, he's saved and everything's all good and he wins. You know, shows like The Walking Dead, at least my wife tells me, they just kill off all their heroes. <laughs> they kill off most of the people. For me, it's, you know, sort of depressing for the most part, you know, and a lot of shows now do this. So, you know, being the nice guy or the pretty girl does not at all guarantee you that you're going to make it to the end of the series like it used to. Somehow, we're entertained by this. Again, no judgment. Or at least we're shocked by it. It's shocking. 
Well, how about our text this morning in John the Baptist? Shocking, right? Sort of a real downer, but, you know, maybe apropos for this rainy day. Thank you, Scott, for this very difficult passage to preach on. Here it is. And just to spite Scott, we're only going to do one point this morning, not three. Just one. You know, I'm just kidding. And here it is, friends. This is our one point. In following Jesus faithfully, expect a life of consequence, not comfort. Let me say it again. In following Jesus faithfully, expect a life of consequence, not comfort. We need to ask ourselves, are we desiring a comfortable life or a consequential life? A life that matters or a life of materials? In this, can we be the other C word, content? I know it's hard for me, friends. I want a life that's comfortable. John the Baptist was not known for living a comfortable life. Not known for living a comfortable life. He was an itchy, <coughs> stinky man. He wore a garment of camel's hair. Remember the old commercial? The fabric of our lives. Camel's hair is not the fabric of our lives. He also ate bugs. Ah, but they were bugs dipped in honey. Redeeming, right? No, probably not. You could dip it. In gumbo, I would not like it. Back in those days, this was a prophet's uniform, though. I mean, like back in the 80s, if you had the Bajas t-shirt, the black lipstick, and black hair, you were a goth girl or a goth chick, okay? You know, people knew what you were about when they saw you. When they saw John, people knew what he was about. He was a prophet. Now, he looked and lived the part, but he also spoke it, too. He also spoke the part faithfully. So let's dig into what is a prophet? What is a prophet? We may say, you know, one who foretells or foresees the future. An Old Testament prophet absolutely does that or could do that. But they did some other things that was equally as important. They, for one, spoke the truth of God, his character, his law, his will. Number two, many times they spoke this truth to power, to the powerful, to call out injustice. John did this. He called out to the leaders to turn from their wicked ways and repent. You know, we talk a lot about disruptive technology. You know, a prophet is a disruptive truth teller. You know, they're likely out there disrupting something that needed to be disrupted. This is why Jesus says in Luke 4, uh, truly, I say to you, a prophet's not acceptable in his own town because people don't like to be disrupted, right? Like, who is this guy? Why is he saying this? Don't call me out. Look at some of the old prophets, you know, like Elijah, for example. He made it rain and got the pagan, the pagan prophets of Baal killed. Queen Jezebel came for his head. He found himself hiding in a cave, if you know the story in Kings. And now this man, known as the new Elijah... John the Baptist, he's actually the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though he shows up in the New Testament. Last of the Old Testament prophets. And just like Elijah, he had a problem with the queen too. And we'll get to that here in a couple of minutes. So a prophet's life is not comfortable, but was John the Baptist's life consequential? Was it consequential? 
I'd say it sure was, was quite consequential. I mean, John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, and he's the forerunner to Jesus' ministry. He's like the prequel movie. He's the prequel to Jesus in a lot of ways. He set the table. He prepared the way. How did he do this? By being a faithful prophet. By being a faithful prophet. How? Let's go through those points again. He foretold Jesus' coming. He spoke the truth of God. And he called for repentance. You know, he's really the first repentant baptized guy we hear of. And finally, he spoke of all of these things to the powerful, as we were talking about before, which was whom at this time Queen Herodias and Herod the King Antipas. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the soap opera that is the Herodian line of kings. And actually, I was reading a commentary about this, and they said, we're not going to bore you about the soap opera about the Herodian line of kings. It was a morass. That's actually what it said. And that's what it was. But let's just say that when actually in Rome, King Herod and Herodias did as the Romans did. They actually fulfilled this little saying. Number one, they divorced their living spouses. They divorced their living spouses. And Herodias, that former spouse, was actually Herod's living brother. That's clearly a sin, as it is in Leviticus 20.21. It says this. We'll put it on the screen. If a man takes his brother's wife, it's impurity. They shall be childless. Herod and Herodias, when in Rome, did what the pagan Romans did. Is this what God wanted from his leaders? Is this what God's chosen people were supposed to do? No, they were supposed to uphold God's law, his character, to be a blessing to the nations. And what are the main leaders caught doing? Now, there's adultery, there's incest, there's this weird little dance and making rash oaths, which never turn out all that good in the Old Testament. Now, John the Baptist, uh, the man who ate bugs wore camel hair, and spoke truth to power, he wasn't having this. He was not having any of this. He was a holy and righteous man, as it said in our text here. This morning, he called Herod and Herodias, Herodias excuse me, and their gang of yes-men and ladies to repentance. Remember David? Remember when he was called to repentance? What did he do? Repent. He was a man after God's own heart. How about Herodias and Herod? Did they repent? No, they threw John the Baptist in prison. They threw John the Baptist in jail, and then this little weird dance and oath thing happened, and that got us to why our title is what it is today. It's what? The death of John the Baptist. It all led up to that. Now, I ask you, friends, uh, is this fair? Is this all fair? It wasn't supposed to be like this. It wasn't supposed to be like this. I mean, I, I want us to enter in to this dirty, lonely, stinky jail cell that John the Baptist is rotting in. It was not supposed to be like this. John, a man of God's word, a prophet himself, he was quite acquainted with the prophets of old. And the last major prophet 
uh, before John, someone named Daniel. Daniel. Now, John knows Daniel 9, 25 through 26. I'll, we'll put it on the screen and I'll jump around a little bit in it. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build up Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And the people of the prince will come destroy the city, the sanctuary, and there shall be war. John sacrificed a lot for that prophecy, for that scripture. He's laid down his, his life. He spent a big chunk of his life pretty darn uncomfortable, not living, quote, the good life, if you will. He's been preparing the way for the Messiah to come, the anointed one, the prince, to arrive on the scene, the consolation of Israel. And he also knows that this, that this Messiah that's going to arrive on the, screen, uh, the, the, the uh, scene, excuse me, he is to be a warrior king. A warrior king. Another prophet, Micah, tells us about the warrior king who's going to muster the troops, bring shalom, salvation, but a first war. John is expecting the Messiah to kick butt and take names, as we see him talk about earlier in Scripture. You know, when Jesus just sort of first pops up on the, the scene around his baptism, Luke 3.17 says this, His winnowing fork is in his hand is to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the shaft will burn with unquenchable fire. Pretty tough stuff. So what's Jesus doing while John's in jail? There's no smackdown. There's no judgment. There's no fire or winnowing forks. He's out there eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. He's healing. He's telling parables. I think here as we're in the dirty, lonely, stinky jail with John the Baptist, we can understand maybe why he's a little bit confused. He's a little bit confused. Like, what's going on? We know from Scripture, you know, he sends out some of his messengers that come and, and help him out from time to time to go ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's up? Are you the Messiah? Has all this work I've been doing made in vain? Jesus responds, not with condemnation but attunement and care. Luke 7 says this, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receives their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus goes on to then compliment John and set John in redemptive history right here the other folks he's speaking to. Verse 26. What then did you go out and see? Speaking of John the Baptist. A prophet? I tell you, he is more than a prophet. This is of he who's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, listen to this, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Wow, this had to have been a real encouragement to John in that dirty, stinky prison. Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And John confirmed, affirmed his suffering is not in vain. His life has been truly consequential. Now, as we established earlier, John is a righteous and, and holy man. Much righteous 
much more righteous and holier than I, for sure. So I'm going to like just imagine maybe what was in his head. It doesn't actually say this in Scripture, but you know, if I was John, I would be thinking this. So Jesus, you're the Messiah. Awesome. Uh, you're going to get me out of this jail cell, right? You're going to rescue me. You're going to get me out of here. I'm assuming he's thinking uh, these things because what do we read earlier this morning? Another faithful man, uh, Daniel. He got rescued, didn't he? Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, if you've been around Bob the tomato or Larry the cucumber for any length of time, at least how they tell the story, if you know what I'm talking about, instead of getting fed to lions, Daniel has a pizza with him. Go watch your veggie tales. Come on. They share a pizza. John the Baptist is like, where's my pizza? Who's bringing me my pizza? We know from Scripture, John's not rescued. John's not rescued, at least this side of heaven. Things go from bad to worse, south and sideways, as Scott likes to say, quite sideways here. John is killed thanks to an angry, vindictive, adulterous queen, her wayward daughter, and a boneheaded king. Also, adulterous too. It wasn't supposed to be like this. This is not just uncomfortable. It is unjust. Friends, I've come to learn that uh, stories or story uh, is super important. And when I, when I say that, I mean like your life story, like all of the events and things that have happened that have shaped you and have brought you up into to today, why you're sitting here in this seat in this church in the city of Atlanta, neighborhood of Virginia Highlands right now, all these things that happened in the past. Unfortunately, some of the most memorable and poignant moments that we've experienced as part of our stories are ones of uncomfort and injustice. You could also refer to this as, use the T word, trauma, as well, too. You know, Mr. Boland, who's sitting in the front row here, is probably one of the best people I know to meet you in that place, in that place and sit with you with empathy and compassion to unpack the things that have happened and shaped your life and understand the ripple effect that it has and how it rears its ugly head like a whack-a-mole. One of those things at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, you hit, pops up in other ways. Even if you hit it, it pops up another way. It rears its ugly head here today. No offense to moles. We're just not getting my jokes this morning here. <laughs> I know we're in a serious moment. You know, that disappointment, the pain that we might experience today, it it makes us feel, what, uncomfortable? It can feel like God is far off. It can feel like Elijah in the cave. You know, my marriage, maybe being married, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Maybe you ask these questions to yourself. I'm still single. It wasn't supposed to be this way. My career... It wasn't supposed to be this way. Parenting, getting pregnant, this miscarriage, it wasn't supposed to be this way. How and with whom I have sex, it's not supposed to be this way. I can't have a baby, not this way. My finances, not this way. My health, not this way. What I experienced as a child, unfair, unjust, it wasn't supposed to be this way. 
It can feel like we're like John in the stinky, lonely prison, riding away, waiting to be rescued, and instead of a Savior, who shows up? The executioner. Friends, have we been in that place before? Are we there right now asking, where, where are you, Jesus? Well, I can answer where he went, and that is the cross. That's consequential. The injustice to John, the injustice done to you and me, the injustice that we have done and perpetuated to others is what compelled Jesus to suffer the consequences on the cross. The other C word, canceled. The injustice canceled. He's a sinless man, the God-man who paid the debt. And you know, if you think about it, And this is crazy. This is just how God's sovereignty works. Mysterious. Likely what was done to John the Baptist just emboldened Herod and the authorities to go after Jesus and put him in the cross. Kind of like, like we got away with this. God didn't do anything. I think we can pursue Jesus now and go after him. It's like a scene from a movie. Imagine if John was miraculously rescued just like Daniel. Herod, the Romans may have thought twice about crucifying Jesus, and therefore no cross, no reconciliation, no John the Baptist reconciliation, no reconciliation of you, me, and the Father God. Do you see that? I mean, this doesn't make the injustice or the uncomfortableness any easier for John. Absolutely not. But it just goes to show how consequential his life was. That it ended up leading to the cross, which God used to bring justice, peace, and reconciliation. I'm sure John is up in heaven now saying, no hard feelings. No hard feelings. He sees what happened. So I encourage us as we close here in Romans uh, 8.18, one of my favorite scriptures, for I consider that the present time the sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. And friends, I say this, that no matter how unjust, unfair, stinky, and rotten the stuff is that we're experiencing now on this side of heaven, Jesus took that on. He put it to death. And now, it doesn't have to have power over you. You can give it power, but it doesn't have power over you. It is not the last word on who you are and your reality. The hero of the story actually wins. He won, even though sometimes when we're suffering and in that dark place, it doesn't seem like that, just like Elijah in the cave. God is sovereign. He's got you, even if it doesn't feel like that right now. So, friends, I I want us to um, see this, and I know it's hard to see, but that's why Paul says we live by faith, not by sight, right? It's hard to see. So faith is the important currency here that stirs and motivates our heart. And speaking of heart, let's bring these things from our head. We can understand these things theologically, orthodoxically, orthopraxically, all these funny words I'm sort of making up and butchering right now. Let's move it to our heart and make that connection by the grace of God. Jesus meets us in the unjust, uncomfortable, dirty jail cell of our lives. Don't be embarrassed about that. Just like we were, the women were talking earlier. You, don't have, you know, 
I said I wasn't going to use a musical reference, but Nirvana, come as you are. (laughs) Come as you are, as you were. God uh, speaks to us now through what Christ did, a new reality, a new name over our life. More than that, just speaking a name, he adopts us into a new family. You have a new family now. In Christ, our lives are indeed consequential. Believe that. Even in the small things that we do every day, friends. Even in that. They matter. We matter to the king and the kingdom. So I really want you to receive this grace this morning, this reality that you are walking into. Really want that to set your heart on fire, cut you to the heart. But even more than that, that you would give that away to your friends, family, and neighbors. That you would pour out this grace upon others, making this city, this world, a better, more peaceful place of flourishing. Let us pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, thank you for your sovereignty. Uh, It is confusing at times as I think about the twists and turns uh, in our lives where we would say to ourselves, it was not supposed to be this way. Lord, you speak to us in those moments. You speak to us a new reality, a new name, a new family. And it's by faith that we receive that. We have a new operating system now, Father. Update our operating system. Renew our mind in your spirit, grace, and truth. As we go forth today in greater faith, that we bring blessing uh, to the nations around us, Father, the renewal of all things. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I wonder where you connect with what Dan was saying today. Uh, Maybe it is in a place of suffering, where you're thinking to yourself, yeah, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Or, Or it could be on the front end what he was saying in the sermon about comfort. And how it is so easy to choose that, especially in a modern Western world where we have everything uh, just at our fingertips in terms of what we desire. And what, what Dan was laying out.